and I will make them one nation in the land, on the mountains of Israel, and one king will be king for all of them, and they will no longer be two nations and no longer be divided into two kingdoms. Does Israel survive the war of Gog and Magog in the last days of human history? Hi, and welcome to this episode of Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg, a podcast of the Joshua Fund, a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund. Today, we present insights into the war of Gog and Magog happening in the last days of human history and detail how Israel will survive in the last days. Let's take a listen to Joel. Does the Bible really say that an evil dictator is going to rise to power in Russia in the last days of human history? Do the ancient Hebrew scriptures really say that this Russian dictator will build a military and political alliance with Iran and a coalition of other nations to surround and attack the resurrected state of Israel in the end times? Is all that fake news or is it real? Is it coming? In our last video, we began to unpack the writings of Ezekiel, the ancient Hebrew prophet who lived in exile in Babylon more than 2,500 years ago. In this video, we're going to go deeper, but let's start with a quick recap. We learned about a coming war of Gog and Magog that's described in Ezekiel 38 and 39. We learned that this war has never happened before in all of human history, but will come to pass in what the Bible calls the last days. We also learned that in Ezekiel 36 and 37, God lays out four things that must happen before the war of Gog and Magog comes to pass. So open up your notebooks. These things are worth writing down. First, God promises that he will resurrect the sovereign nation state of Israel out of the dry bones, out of the despair of the Jewish people who feel that all their hope has been lost. And then Rather than give us a divided kingdom between Israel in the north and Judah in the south, God promised that he would make us a unified nation state under one leader. Now, read all of Ezekiel 36 and 37, but look particularly at chapter 37, verse 22, in which the Lord says this, And I will make them one nation in the land, on the mountains of Israel, and one king will be king for all of them, and they will no longer be two nations and no longer be divided into two kingdoms. Now, has that happened? It sure has. On May 14th, 1948, David Ben-Gurion, our first prime minister of a united Israel, declared Israel's independence to the world. And 75 years later, despite never-ending efforts by our enemies to invade us, to destroy us, to wipe us off the map, the Jewish state is stronger than ever. So let's definitely put a check mark next to that one. Second, God promises to bring the Jewish people back to the Holy Land, back here after centuries of us being exiled and scattered all across the globe. As we read in Ezekiel 36, verse 24, the Lord says, For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. Has that happened? Absolutely. More than 3.3 million Jews have immigrated to Israel just since the establishment of the state in 1948. And that doesn't count all of those hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Jews that came uh, beginning in the first wave of Jewish immigration 
uh, to the Holy Land beginning in the late 1800s. So let's definitely put a check mark next to that one. Third, God promises to make the deserts bloom. As we read in Ezekiel 36, verses 8 and 9, But you, O mountains of Israel, you will put forth your branches, and you will bear your fruit for my people Israel. For they will soon come. For behold, I am for you, and I will turn to you, and you will be cultivated and sown. And again, let's look at chapter 36, verse 30. I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the produce of the field, the Lord says, so that you will not receive again the disgrace of famine among the nations. Now, as this happened, you'd better believe it. When the brilliant American author Mark Twain visited the Holy Land in 1867, he saw a wretched wasteland. In his book, The Innocents Abroad, he described the land which was then called Palestine as a desolate country given over wholly to weeds, a mournful expanse. There was hardly a tree or a shrub anywhere. Even the olive and the cactus, those fast friends of the worthless soil, great phrase by Twain, had almost deserted the country. Now, before 1882, citrus fruit didn't even grow in Israel, barely. I mean, maybe there's a few oranges here and there, but it wasn't an industry. It wasn't a thing. Yet today, Much of Israel is beautiful, it's green, it's covered with trees and rich, productive farmland. Today, Israel actually exports $682 million worth of fruit per year, including, wait for it, 7 million pounds of oranges alone every single year. What's more, Israel exports a half billion flowers a year, mostly to Europe. In fact, we're the 11th biggest exporter of flowers in the world. So have the desert bloom as God promised? Yes, let's put a check next to that one too. Fourth, God promises to rebuild the ancient ruins. Look at what it says in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 10. I will multiply men on you, all the house of Israel, all of it, and the cities will be inhabited and the waste places will be rebuilt. Now look at chapter 36, verse 33. Thus says the Lord God, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places will be rebuilt. Now, this was certainly not true when Mark Twain visited. Consider more of his observations. Of all the lands there are for dismal scenery, he wrote, I think Palestine must be the prince. The hills are barren. They are dull of color. They are unpicturesque in shape. It is a hopeless, dreary, heartbroken land. The city of Jaffa, there was no Tel Aviv back then. The city of Jaffa lies buried. We passed through the walls and rode again down narrow streets among swarms of animated rags. Jericho, the accursed, lies a moldering ruin today. Renowned Jerusalem itself, the stateliest name in history, has lost all its ancient grandeur and has become a pauper village. The riches of Solomon are no longer there to compel the admiration of visiting Oriental queens. Palestine sits in sackcloth and ashes. What a terrible quote, but it was true at the time. But look what God has done since. 
Last year, The Economist magazine declared that Israel had the fourth best performing economy in the entire industrialized world. Forbes magazine says that Israel is in the top 20 countries in the entire world in terms of per capita GDP, ahead of Canada, the UK, France, Japan, and South Korea. Before 1965, Tel Aviv, which was the the Jewish city that grew up next to Jaffa, our financial capital, it didn't even have a single skyscraper. Today, it has 41, and dozens more are being built as I tell you this. So can we put a check next to this one that the ancient ruins will be rebuilt? I'd say so. So now that God has fulfilled and is continuing to fulfill his promises in Ezekiel 36 and 37, we absolutely need to study Ezekiel 38 and 39 to see what's coming next. Now, in 2006, I wrote my first nonfiction book. It was called Epicenter, and it explained these prophecies in detail. I also wrote about the War of Gog and Magog in my most recent nonfiction book entitled Enemies and Allies, which released in 2021. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to restate every single piece of research that I put in those books, but let me hit some of the highlights here. Let's start by adding more material to the who section of your notebook, right? We're going through who, what, when, where, why, and how. So let's talk about who. In the last video, we learned that Ezekiel, the Hebrew prophet, tells us that Gog is a political leader who will devise an evil plan to attack Israel in the last days of history. Now, let's go deeper. Scholars genuinely don't believe that Gog is a personal name, okay? We're not looking for Fred Gog or Dimitri Gog or Ahmed or Mohammed Gog. Rather, Gog appears to be a title like a pharaoh or a czar. So let's write that down in our notebook. Next, let's add some more material to the where section. Ezekiel tells us that Gog rules over a territory known as Magog, and that includes places called Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal. Now, to find out where that is, it's time to become good intelligence analysts, or if you prefer a different analogy, it's time to become good historical detectives. To that end, let's do a search first of the Bible, the rest of the Bible, to see if these words are ever used anywhere else. After all, the best way to interpret the Bible is with the Bible. And sure enough, it turns out that these words are not randomly generated. Uh, To the contrary, we find them mentioned in the Bible, beginning in Genesis chapter 10, in what scholars call the table of nations. Take a close look at Genesis chapter 10, verses 1 through 2. Now, these are the records of the generations of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah. And sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth were Gomer and, wait for it, Magog, bing, and Madai, and Javan, and, wait for it, Tubal, bing, and, again, Meshech, bing, and Tiras. Boom. Noah had three sons, The youngest was named Japheth, and Japheth had seven sons, and three of them were named Magog, Tubal, and Meshach. This is important because it tells us that these aren't just strange words. They're actually names. Specifically, they're the names of ancient tribes named after specific people. The most important tribe here is Magog. 
And it turns out that Josephus, one of the most famous and trusted historians of the ancient Roman world, offers us a very important clue. In the Antiquities of the Jews, his 20-volume classic, which was written 2,000 years ago in the first century of the Roman Empire, Josephus wrote that the people of Magog, whom he called the Magogites, are the same people who by the Greeks are called Scythians. Wow, that's big. Why? Because the Scythians, we learn from our history books, were barbarians, fierce, bloodthirsty killers who used the skulls of their enemies as mugs to drink the blood of their victims. And they lived in Russia. Okay, The Encyclopedia Britannica, just as one uh, reference example, describes the Scythians as members of a nomadic people, originally of Iranian stock, who migrated from Central Asia to where? Southern Russia in the 8th and 7th centuries B.C. The Scythians founded a rich, powerful empire. Until the 20th century, the article notes, most of what was known of the history of the Scythians came about from the account of them by the ancient Greek historian Herodotus, who visited their territory. In modern times, that record has been expanded chiefly by Russian and other anthropologists, end quote. But look around you, your family, your faith, they're not in the way, they are the way. From the creators of Jesus Revolution comes the incredible true story. It's going to be dangerous and scary and giving up, it's not an option. The story of one family's journey from down under to center stage. Unsung Hero, a for King and Country film starring Candace Cameron Bure and Terry O'Quinn. In theaters now. Visit unsunghero.movie to learn more. Rated PG, parental guidance suggested. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Our verse of the day today is found in Ezekiel chapter 39, verses 1 to 2. Son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against you, Gog, chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. I will turn you around and drag you along. I will bring you from the far north and send you against the mountains of Israel. Our prayer request today is number one. Pray that God keeps protecting Israel and the people of the Middle East from the influence of terrorists and other satanic agents. And secondly, pray that the knowledge of God continues to increase in the churches in Israel and throughout the Middle East. In late August 2004, my father and I traveled to Russia to do research for two books that I was writing. One was, of course, Epicenter, but the other was a novel called The Ezekiel Option. 
We were curious about this apparent Scythian heritage of Russia, since this is not a concept uh, that's commonly spoke of in the West. So while we were in Moscow, we toured the State Historical Museum. And sure enough, as we spent several hours walking through the floors of the enormous red brick building facing Red Square, what did we find? But in one glass case after another, numerous Scythian artifacts dug up by Russian archaeologists and anthropologists. Not only was Russia's Scythian heritage real, we learned, but the Russian government was proud to let the whole world know. So now, where are Rosh, Meshek, and Tubal? The word Rosh in Hebrew can mean head or chief, leading some English translators of the Bible to the conclusion that Gog is the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. But both the Septuagint and the Masoretic text, two of the oldest and most reliable copies of the Holy Scriptures, translate Rosh as the proper name of a geological place. Ironically, one of the oldest and best preserved copies that we have of the Masoretic text, one giving us the complete version of Ezekiel's vision of Gog and Magog, is called the Leningrad Codex. And it's housed in the Russian National Library in what used to be called Leningrad and is now called St. Petersburg. In his seminal work, Jesenius's Hebrew Chaldee Lexicon to the Old Testament, William Jesenius the father of modern Hebrew lexicography, the science behind compiling dictionaries, he concluded that Rosh, the Rosh to which Ezekiel refers, is a proper name. He also concluded that Rosh is, quote, undoubtedly the Russians who are mentioned by the Byzantine writers of the 10th century under the name of Ross, dwelling to the north of Taurus, which was Turkey. Now, what's particularly interesting to me about this assessment is that Jesenius was not writing in the 20th or 21st century. He wrote this in 1846, long before the Communist Revolution, long before the rise of the Soviet Union as a nuclear superpower, much less the rise of a bloodthirsty killer like Vladimir Putin in our lifetime. As I wrote in Epicenter, not all prophecy scholars agree, but a number of prominent ones believe that not only is Magog Russia, but that Meshech refers to Moscow, and that Tubal refers to the Russian city of Tobolsk, located on the Tubal River in Siberia. Now add to this several important textual clues provided by Ezekiel himself. In Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 6, the Lord tells Gog that he will bring his military coalition against Israel from where? From the remote parts of the north. Write that down under where, that Gog and his team will come from the remote parts of the north. Now look at Ezekiel 38, verses 14 and 15. Quote, therefore prophesy, son of man, and say to Gog, thus says the Lord God, on that day, when my people Israel are living securely, will you not know it? You will come from your place out of the remote parts of the north. There it is again. Make a note. God will bring his military forces from your place out of the remote parts of the north. Now, here's another one. Look at chapter 39, verses 1 and 2. Quote, And you, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, 
Thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm against you, O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal. And I will turn you around, drive you on, take you up from where? From the remotest parts of the north and bring you against the mountains of Israel. Boom. There it is a third time and it couldn't be clearer. Now, let's look at a map. Start in Israel and our capital right here in Jerusalem, where I'm talking to you from, and let's go due north as far as we can. Where do we wind up? Russia and its capital, Moscow. Interesting, huh? The next country on our list is Persia. And that's an easy one, because until 1935, Persia was the official legal name of the country that today we call the Islamic Republic of Iran. So write that one down. That's important. Persia is Iran. But stop for a moment and think about that. I mean, way back in biblical times, Ezekiel was able to look down through the corridors of time and see the emergence of a military alliance between Russia and Iran. It's an alliance that made absolutely no sense for most of the past 2,500 years. Why? Because it didn't exist. But now it does. The next country on our list is translated in many English Bibles as Ethiopia. But the Hebrew word used here is Cush, another name found in Genesis 10 in the Table of Nations. Josephus traced the Cushites to the kingdom of Ethiopia. But ancient Ethiopia encompassed far more territory than it does now. Today, the biggest section of ancient Kush is the country that we know as Sudan, which is closely aligned today with Russia and Iran. So let's write that one down as well. Kush is certainly Sudan, but let's be fair, it might also include modern Ethiopia and possibly even Eritrea. The next country on our list is Put. Now, where do we put Put? Okay, sorry, I couldn't resist that one. Well, Josephus wrote that Put was the founder of ancient Libyos. That's a big clue. But again, we need to remember that ancient Libya encompassed much more territory than modern Libya does today. So I would write that down as this. Put is Libya, but it might also include Algeria and possibly Tunisia. The next country on our list is called Gomer. Now, just to be clear, this is not where Gomer Pyle is from. I know Gomer Pyle, it was in the army, and Gomer's going to have an army and team up with Russia and Iran and all these other countries, but it has nothing to do with Gomer Pyle. We know from Genesis 10 that Gomer, like Magog, Meshech, and Tubal, was a son of Japheth, which puts the Gomerites, the people of Gomer, and all the rest of them into one big violent clan. Josephus wrote that, quote, Gomer founded those whom the Greeks now call Galatians, but were then called Gomerites, unquote. That's important because it tells us that if Gomer is Galatia and Galatia is in Turkey, then this makes it Turkey. And that's why biblical scholars that I trust most believe that Gomer is modern day Turkey. So write that down in your notebook as well. The last country on our list is Beth Togarma or the house of Togarma. Now, Josephus identified the people of Togarma as the Trugamians, who, as the Greeks resolved, were named Phrygians. 
Okay, so we know that Phrygia was located in Asia Minor, in what we now call Turkey as well. And we should also note that the Greek historian Herodotus wrote that the people of Armenia were originally from Phrygia. Thus, Bible scholars generally believe that Beth Togarma refers to the people of Turkey, Armenia, and the Turkic-speaking peoples who spread out across Central Asia over time to countries like Turkmenistan and possibly to others as well. So be sure to make a note of all that in your notebook, okay? Now, where does all this leave us? Doing all this intelligence work, this historical detective work, has led us to some important discoveries. We've learned that the coalition that will attack Israel in the last days will be led by an evil dictator from Russia, whose chief ally will be Iran, and that he'll have other allies as well, including the armies of Sudan, Libya, and Turkey, and possibly others as well. Given that we're watching a very dangerous Russian-Iranian alliance emerge right before our eyes right now, I'd say this intelligence information from Bible prophecy is sobering, to say the least. In our next video, we're going to look at how the war of Gog and Magog plays out when it finally comes to pass. But for now, I want to wrap up with two points. First, what makes Bible prophecy so fascinating and so important is that they're intercepts from the mind of the all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful God of the universe. And thus, they're a source of immensely valuable intelligence about the future. Now, we can ignore them if we want to, but we do so at our peril. And second, these passages of Scripture are not given by God to scare us. Rather, they're given to prepare us to live more knowledgeably, boldly, and faithfully for Jesus Christ in these last days before his return. And that, my friend, is the purpose and the power of Bible prophecy. Well, thank you for listening to this episode about understanding prophecy, the war of Gog and Magog, and Israel surviving the war. If you found this podcast valuable, please get in touch with us. Let us know who you are. Do you want to talk about something else on this show? Do you have a question you want Joel to answer? Send any comments you may have to podcast at joshuafund.net. Your feedback is incredibly valuable to us as we develop this podcast. And as always, you can check out our show notes for anything you heard on the podcast that you'd like more information on. For Joel Rosenberg and the Joshua Fund Ministry team, I'm Carl Muller. Thanks for listening to Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg. Considered yourself a messenger? Whether it's mics like this, bookshelves around the world, stages to take, or art to make, or perhaps businesses to build, it's time we start testifying truth unashamedly, creatively, and in love. My name is Tamara Andress, the host of the Messenger Movement Podcast, which is designed to catalyze Christians to speak, write, build, and testify. If you're ready to turn your message into a movement and want to run with other messengers doing the thing at scale globally, Search and follow the Messenger Movement podcast on your favorite podcast platform today or lifeaudio.com.